Hello, welcome to the IPR podcast. Today we have two amazing interlocutors joining us. Ines Valdez, professor of political science at Ohio State University, and who will join Johns Hopkins Political Science Department in the future. Begum Adalet, professor of government at Cornell University, and we will talk about the forum that discusses Ines' groundbreaking book, Transnational Cosmopolitanism: Kant, Du Bois, and Justice as a Political Craft. So, Ines, could you briefly introduce your book to our audience? Yes, and I wanted to start actually by saying thank you、uh, to you, Royu, and、uh, to IPR for first publishing the exchange, and to、uh, Begum to for actually hosting the conversation. What my book does is present an account of transnational politics. So that's kind of the core of、uh, what the book does.、Um, to do so, it actually engages with. Two different literatures.、Um, in particular, it engages critical, crit- critically with the literature on、um, Kant's cosmopolitanism, which includes both Kant's own writings, as well as how neo-Kantians have relied on Kant's writings to think about global justice、uh, today. And on the other hand, in order to put forward the positive notion of transnational cosmopolitanism, I rely on the writings, and these these are really like very, very different writings and I mean very different genres、uh, of writing by W. E. B. Du Bois. What I do with、uh, Du Bois's work, and this is mostly his post World War One writings, is to construct an account of transnational identity or subjectivity. Transnational solidarity, and then an account of transnational counterpublics. What I, I mean, I was trained in kind of the cosmopolitan tradition as、uh, it existed back, I guess, 15 years ago when I was finishing my PhD or working, starting my dissertation and finishing. And so I was trained in the Kantian tradition, which has become quite prominent in、um, helping current thinkers. Understand and diagnose problems of global injustice, but at the same time, I grew increasingly frustrated with that tradition, and very gradually develop both a contextual reading that allowed me to doubt that what Kant was doing when he was writing in 1795, Perpetual Peace, this classic work, was actually something that was usable for us thinking about post-colonial injustice in the world today. But second, it allowed me to. Reread neo-Kantians、uh, and find different forms of Eurocentrism,、um, and these are, in a way, subtle forms of Eurocentrism in the sense that they do—they are not as,、uh, as as crass as some of what the political theory of empire finds in canonical figures. But it was rather kind of this return to the federation as the way to organize the global, or this、uh, imagining of global international institutions、uh, as this kind of gradual. Uh, progression to to peace,、uh, and thirdly, this reliance, exclusive reliance on Western、uh, on the Western canon. And so, these three forms of Eurocentrism that I call、um, unworldly Eurocentrism, ahistorical Eurocentrism, and、uh, federative Eurocentrism,、uh, kind of pose problems to what we can diagnose and what we can understand about the, the global. And Um, in particular, what was really problematic was that this really obscured that there were other realms of politics that were extremely active, and that did neither happen in these Western-dominated multilateral institutions that constitute the core of、um, of,、uh, of work on、uh, cosmopolitanism, but also really 
imagine very different ways of organizing um, the world. And so, and this is why I started by saying that what my book does is propose an account of transnational politics, because what I wanted to do is really exit this conceptual apparatus that we all acquire as political theorists in which we think about domestic politics predominantly. And then when we think about international, even when we're kind of nominally talking about cosmopolitanism that is not necessarily uniquely international, we really, really converge into thinking international, into thinking about relations between states. And both states and international um, organizations are actually obstacles to many forms of emancipatory action or emancipatory uh, struggle that I think we should focus on. Uh, and so that's what, um, what Du Bois, through both of his both his writings and his uh, political action, really illuminates. So how uh, marginalized groups uh, within the U.S. Uh, in the case of Du Bois, uh, of course, the descendants of slaves, African American groups, find that there's uh, forms of commonality, uh, common identity, and an impulse to partake of common political projects with groups that are also uh, kind of within other um, kind of domestic uh, realms, politically organized at the level of the state, or in, in his case, at some point, in, I mean, in his time, at the level of, of empires and kind of so-called dependencies, how these groups that are located at the subnational uh, level share commonalities that do develop uh, into political, uh, political coll collectives uh, and that operate both through common identities ties of solidarity and create publics that are not derivative or oppositional only with respect to the common global publics that we're familiar with, but rather are um, um, possess common forms of uh, common understanding, common senses of temporality uh, and imagine alternative uh, ways of doing politics and alternative um, forms of organizing um, global politics. So that's really, I mean, it's, it's, that's really the goal. I mean, there, there is, you know, we can have, have arguments about kind of the reading of Kant and the reading of Du Bois and how, uh, you know, how this fits in existing literature. But I think the real goal for me was to say, okay, so how, if we want to just focus not on the domestic and international, but on the transnational, very active, dynamic, transnational realm of politics, what is it the framework that we need? And that's kind of what, um, what I found Du Bois's uh, work to be so helpful to develop. Thank you. This is, this is quite amazing. Becker, do you have any points of contention or questions for, for Ines? Thank you. I'll, I'll start by thanking you, Roya, for, for hosting us. And, and Ines, thank you so much for, for writing this very uh, uh, thought-provoking, wonderful book. Uh, and, you know, I, I, I don't want to repeat what, what Ines has already said, but I, I do appreciate and then find so important uh, the way in which uh, Ines is really intervening and, and really kind of innovatively uh, conceptualizing transnationalism and the way in which she's, she's engaging so critically with uh, 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 the literature on, on Kantian, neo-Kantian cosmopolitanism as well. And uh, one of the things I appreciate the most, I think, about the book is, is its insistence on reclaiming Du Bois as a thoroughly transnational thinker. Um, and uh, in our conversation uh, that, that's forthcoming, uh, we had a really fascinating exchange of back and forth about what transnationalism means. Uh, but in any case, I think um, uh, the book is, I think, doing such an important job in, in recovering Du Bois 
as an international thinker in the way that uh, scholars in Black studies, history, literature have, have done so for a very, very long time. And Du Bois has, has definitely become part of the political theory canon in the last couple of decades. Uh, but I think he continues to be read as someone who comments exclusively on, uh, on racism in the U.S. context. Uh, he's seen as an American thinker, as an African-American thinker. Uh, there's a hyper-focus on double uh, consciousness. Uh, people read uh, Souls of Black Folk as though uh, the, the uh, kind of the uh, over of, of uh, Du Bois uh, stops there. But along with, I think, recent important work by Juliet Hooker and Adam Getachel, Inez's book is really giving us a version of Du Bois that, is, uh, that, that rightly reveals him to be a thinker and practitioner of transnationalism. And so when I uh, assigned Inez's book in my uh, graduate seminar in the, in the fall, it uh, gave us a chance to also read selections from Dark Water, uh, Du Bois's otherwise kind of neglected work that really situates him in, in the context of responding to uh, empire and the writing in the context of World War One, and I, I really appreciate these these aspects of of, uh, of her book. I do have a question, a minor question about kind of the how of this uh, recovery work that that Inez is doing. Uh, in the seminar that I, I mentioned, uh, we were uh, reading a lot of work on, on kind of uh, comparative political theory. Uh, or theory uh, that uh, employs creolization and decolonization as, as methods. And one of the recurrent concerns that came up uh, throughout the semester was kind of um, the, the parts of this literature sometimes seem to be uh, privileging their method over their, their content. And there were sort of uh, questions that were raised about uh, why certain thinkers were, were placed next to each other, right? And you, you by no means do this in your book, Inez, which I think is, is really uh, thoughtfully modeled after really strong work. Uh, you, you mentioned uh, Hooker's uh, mo mo model of um, um, hemispheric juxtaposition or Jane Gordon's creolization. Uh, but I'm wondering if you could say a little bit more about your, your choice to read Kant uh, alongside Du Bois. So thank you, Begum, for this question. It's, I mean, it was one of the hardest things to figure out as I was working on the book. And I'm definitely indebted to the work of Juliet Hooker and, uh, and Jane Gordon. This, in a way, opens several fronts to critique in the sense that, you know, Kantians would want to just have an engagement with Kant and Du Boisians would want to, like, just to engage with people that have been working on Du Bois uh, extensively. And in a way, by choosing both, then I'm unable to do many of the things that I would be able to do in a... Uh, kind of book length examination of either of these two authors. So that's that's the first thing, it's kind of a, a risky move. Um, but I'm happy to defend that move because, um, so first, just in, in simple terms of the strength of the argument, right? I mean, um, and the strength of the argument in, in two ways. So first, I mean, I am able not only to show very clearly kind of what our current frameworks doing when they think about uh, cosmopolitanism, and that sets the stage perfectly to say, well, I mean, there are these other ways of thinking about it. And look, I mean, and look how foreign to the way in which we currently think about um, um, cosmopolitanism they are. And so I think that pairing is, is, is really, really um, kind of strong, I mean, rhetorically, as, as a way of introducing um, a new thinker. And the second way in which um, this works really well is that just as comparative political theory has meant that 
political theories increasingly read a whole of non-canonical thinkers, or at least non-canonical in the Western tradition, um, that they didn't used to, it often happens that we still read these thinkers and have these debates in isolation from canonical debates. And so by pairing these two thinkers, I invited an, an audience that wouldn't have otherwise read this book to come in. And so those who were trained in the neo-Kantian cosmopolitan tradition could, and this is kind of, was the first one, right? could see the two juxtap juxtaposed and could see the two, uh, I mean, could see the limitations and the benefits of reaching outside of, uh, of Kant for thinking about cosmopolitanism and, um, and, and global justice. And there is, of course, some, um, I mean, some productive use of Kantian um, of Kantian concepts, and what I what I call uh, disloyal interpretations or disloyal readings of Kant, and that there is a sense of a public sphere, um, and um, there is the question of hospitality, which is transfigured and allows you to you know to think about hospitality as conducive to solidarity in ways that that is not usually. Um, used for in the Kantian tradition and so on and so forth. So it's not simply like a, a critique and a takedown of Kant and uh, kind of the presentation of Du Bois as a solution to everything. I mean, I do think that, and I agree with uh, with Begum there, that Du Bois does gave, give us a, a kind of a self-standing, coherent account of transnational politics. Uh, but I also think that uh, relying on notions of the public sphere and hospitality also help kind of highlight kind of what is so interesting because it's so transformative of the way we think about these very common concepts in political theory. How do you think an exploration of Du Bois, the rereading of Kant, and the discussion of transnationalism and cosmopolitanism, all these elements contribute to our thinking about today's world in which many would argue that both transnationalism and cosmopolitanism seems to be fading? Thank you, Royu. I think that's a really good question because it's worth noting that when Du Bois was writing, one could have equally said that transnationalism had been defeated or was on the wane. For sure, World War I had meant the abandonment of socialist internationalism by workers' parties in Europe and the embrace of nationalism. Nationalism, of course, would also mark the tenor of the post-war, notably in Hitler's reliance on resentful nationalism, but also in the refusal by European powers to let go of their colonies in the name of national grandeur. But the reading of the that I put forward tells us that there was another path politically activating uh, grievances, and that was the path of transnational solidarity in opposition to both colonialism and capitalist exploitation. And so when we see the reactionary forces operating today and assess the problem of so-called democratic backsliding and the turn toward authoritarianism, we would do well to remember that this follow from the deepening of neoliberal processes of this globally encompassing regime of economic reorganization that has reached, even if with differential effects, the global South, Eastern Europe, and finally the West and their relatively sheltered work. So this gets close to what I'm exploring in recent work and in the second book that I'm currently completing, which is how historically there were political decisions, political steps that were taken to close ranks along racial lines and behind nationalist projects. And other that were not to face the heterogeneous but common forms of dispossession that were experienced around the world 
and work together across racial lines to end the commodification of all things. This commodification was particularly brutal in the case of non-white forced laborers, but it was nonetheless common in its impulses. And so here there's a lot to continue building upon Du Bois, who condemned the pursuit of the white working classes of mild improvement of conditions for themselves in exchange for the continued exploitation of most. Today, again, we see these trends and the tripartite framework of transnationalism that I offer, which identifies transnational identity, the establishment of transnational networks of solidarity, and the circulation of these discourses in transnational publics, I think remains current and I hope helpful to unearth alternative trajectories out of the current political crisis. I'll just add, I mean, I, I, I agree with Ines completely. Uh, this is a great question, but I, I don't necessarily know if these terms are, are, are disappearing, right? Uh, in the sense that, you know, yes, of course, there's definitely been a rollback of the kind of the political and economic processes that we think of as globalization or, or liberal internationalism. But on the other hand, uh, there are ongoing and continuing uh, kind of uh, articulations around concerns about indigeneity that are completely global in scope. Uh, when we look at the protests, uh, uh, the Black Lives Matter protests after uh, George Floyd's murder, uh, we see the ways in which uh, those have been taken up across the world. They're by no means a, a US-specific phenomenon. And even uh, something like the transnational feminism of the 1990s and 2000s, even if they, those moments peaked then, we, we certainly know uh, now that uh, in, increasingly there's a shared set of concerns over reproductive rights. I think same with um, uh, same with uh, racialized domestic uh, labor practices across the world. Uh, in all of this, again, Du Bois presents a good good model for actually uh, going beyond the U.S. exceptionalism. Yeah, it makes me think that you know, rather than accepting the retreat if there is one, perhaps we need to more affirmatively insist upon anti-racist, transnational, cosmopolitan visions and ongoing struggles, as as you both highlight. And I think that leaves us um, to a pause in this conversation. Thank you, Ines and Begum, for being here. And please look forward to our future episodes.